You've found the Digging Oak Island podcast, the podcaster's journey to discover the truth behind the Oak Island mystery. I'm Dave McBride. Thank you so much for downloading and listening. If you've been listening to and enjoying our little podcast, please consider helping the show out by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash Island to learn more. Welcome to the first of this year's off-season podcasts, and we've got a fantastic one for you. I'll tell you more about that in a second, but before we get started, let's talk about our Patreon page a little bit more. If you think this show is worth five bucks a month to you, then please consider becoming a patron, helping us keep this uh, show going and keeping it as ad-free as possible. Go to patreon.com slash Island to sign up. It's five bucks a month. You can cancel anytime. Uh, members get exclusive access to a online chat during the live broadcast of each new episode of The Curse of Oak Island. So uh, then that's always a lot of fun. So come take part of that. I want to welcome Catherine as our new patron. Thank you so much, Catherine, for joining us. Welcome to the Digging Oak Island family. Uh, thank you for your support. And for all of you guys on the Patreon page, I can't tell you how much this means to me that you guys are willing to support the show like this. Again, patreon.com slash Island. Uh, sign up, five bucks a month. You can cancel any time. If you want to make a one-time donation to the show, I get asked that every once in a while. Uh, the only way I can think of you could do it is through Venmo. Uh, I have a uh, Venmo user there, at Dave McBride Music. I'm a musician by trade. That's what I use for sort of my virtual tip jar if people don't have cash. So uh, you could do it that way, at Dave McBride Music. If you want to make a one-time donation, and I get that. Listen, monthly thing. Sometimes people don't like doing that stuff. Anyway, today's podcast, I'm actually dividing this incredible interview that I just completed a couple days ago with Corey and Maul into two podcasts. There's two big reasons for that. One, it's well over an hour long, uh, and not that I think that's a problem, but I think that there's so much information in this in this interview. There's so much Corian talks about. There's so many things that are going to make you go, "What?" <laughs> that I, I just I think we just need a a break, collect our thoughts, maybe get some emails in about it. Uh, you could do that. Island at gmail.com. Get your thoughts together before we move on to the next one. Uh, all we're doing in this podcast is talking about this season. And so I just sort of divided it up into the shows that he was featured on. There was three or four episodes. So we're doing sort of two in this first podcast, and then we'll do the Italy trip in the second podcast. So without further ado, I'll be back on at the end of this interview to kind of wrap things up a little bit. Here is Corey and Maul, great friend of the show. Can't thank him enough for coming on. You guys are going to love this one. So stay tuned. Joining me now on the show is a friend of ours, a friend of mine, somebody who's been incredibly generous with his time, even though the, uh, the time difference between here and where he is tends to play some games with us. It's Corey and Maul. Corey, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, man. So glad to be back. And uh, you know, thanks for the opportunity, opportunity to, uh, to share some great stories. Now, one of the things we wanted that we, we 
I've got you lined up for a couple of interviews this <laughs> this summer. I'm picking on you a lot this summer because uh, you always bring such incredible stuff to the table when it comes to the Oak Island mystery. But um, what I wanted to do today was a, a lot of times I tell you guys, listeners out there, that um, people like Corey and Maul and other people who I've spoken to who have done war room sessions and done other kind of things have told me over and over again that... Um, They'd spend hours and hours, if not days and weeks, on what ends up being a six-minute segment on the show. So uh, we always want to try to dig a little deeper on the podcast. We want to try to talk a little bit more, try to maybe fill in some of the blanks because, you know, with editing something that much, there's always going to be blanks. I mean, does that sound fair to you? More than, uh, you know. um, You're right. Uh, We tend to talk a lot in war rooms, but also, you know, when we're shooting sessions uh, like in Italy or in Portugal. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it takes a lot of preparation. Uh, there's a lot of talking. It's all cut back to uh, a few minutes. Uh, and, and we spend a lot of time uh, uh, preparing that you never see. Um, and in season 10, you know, I, I was on the research team. Um, so all that time, you know, we, we spent in, in archives, uh, uh, you know, debating stuff, uh, finding the direction, uh, drawn conclusions from from documents and stuff you see nothing about that process right which which is is one of the things uh, i really regret about uh, yeah. uh, working for the series you know how uh, however cool it is and i'll tell you uh, it, that is one of the things that all of us <laughs> at least all of my listeners that that communicate with me we would love to see more of that like we want to see that kind of stuff going on I, I maybe maybe they find it boring or something i don't i have no idea but it doesn't seem boring to me especially when you're going down the paths you're going down um, a couple of quick questions on that stuff i think at yeah. the end of last season we knew that there rick had said they were going to do a, a set of teams of researchers um, and now we know that you're on one of those teams or one of the researchers because we keep seeing all the different ones out there. That process, I mean, you have your own research, stuff that you've been doing for years and years and years. Um, it, it, by focusing it on Oak Island uh, for the show, is it taking you down paths and avenues that you didn't think you'd go? You know what I mean? Like uh, you're, you, you've been a Templar, you, you've, we all know where you've been. <laughs> we've seen this all about, you know, we've, we've read this all, right? We know what it all is. We've talked about it. For those listeners out there who don't know, Corey, and go back and listen to the other podcasts. You'll learn a lot about this stuff. Um, it seems like you're sort of zeroing in on Oak Island a little bit. Um, uh, is that, am I, am I jumping to conclusions there? <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, you know, Originally, you know, my area of interest, I don't want to call it expertise, but let's call it interest, uh, was, um, you know, Middle Ages and, and Renaissance France. And then, you know, Templars uh, and their successes play a big part in that. Um, so I was always looking at that stuff, of course, you know, since I work for uh, the Curse of Oak Island. Um, um, I've, I've had a focus on that, you know, starting with the Nicolas Poussin stuff. Right. Uh, from the very first day that I found out that um, um, Nova Scotia was actually called Arcadia in 1525, and that related back to this uh, famous painting by Nicolas Poussin with this phrase, et in Arcadia ego. But gradually, and, and I think this um, primarily uh, happened in Portugal, um, and this became a search for, let's say, um, 
European travel uh, to the Americas uh, way before Columbus. Uh, and, you know, I do feel and I do think, you know, Oak Island played a part in that somehow. But that has, you know, ever so slightly uh, broadened the subject beyond uh, just Oak Island, but made it, you know, infinitely more interesting. I think a question that I have, and maybe maybe I should save this to the end, but I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> and this is a question I have for you. Uh, you know, there are a lot of researchers, uh, theorists, archaeologists, people over, especially over the last 20 years or so in the United States, who have pointed at a lot of um, evidence of a Templar voyage over here. And it seems to be kind of spread out. I mean, we see things in caves. We see, you know, I remember reading about the hooked X's in this one place or another, um, you know, Rhode Island, Nova Scotia, um, up and I think there was one in Maine, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, when you research this stuff, when you look through these things, how many, how many times do you look and, and come to the conclusion that something like this is a fake is, is there a, do people fake stuff like that? Like, is it possible that these things could be just somebody trying to run a Templar, uh, cross somewhere on a rock? Cause it just seems so strange that there would be all of these things all over the coast of the United States and even interior United States. I mean, these, these evident, this, these pieces of evidence seem to be popping up all over the place over the last 20 years as this theory gets more popular. Oh, that, that's a lot of questions at the same time. Um, I, I tried to look at everything myself. So I, I was in uh, uh, in Rhode Island uh, uh, two months ago, um, you know, be in Narragansett, uh, Newport, uh, Westford, you know, I had a look at the Westford night, I had a look at the Newport Tower. Right. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm undecided about many of these things. Uh, Dighton Rock, I think, is another great example. Yeah. So the, when, the when night we was the one that I was thinking of too. The night is yeah. a fascinating thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, I originally wanted to go here because of Dighton Rock because there's a copy of it uh, in the square in front of in front of the Maritime Museum in Lisbon. So I thought it would be cool to see the original. Right. Um, uh, so I, I went to see that in uh, somewhere in, uh, in Massachusetts, I think, um, or just on uh, uh, on the border to Rhode Island. Um, uh, is is it authentic? I have no idea. Uh, do people make this stuff up? Uh, I, I'm sure they do, but I think many of these these uh, more well known uh, stones with inscriptions are probably authentic uh, from my point of view. Whether or not they are Viking or Templar, I've, I have no idea. It's impossible to say. Right. You know, even these. Um, uh, scratchings or, or inscriptions that we found in, in Brooklyn, Nova Scotia, um, and, uh, in, I think it was episode five of season uh, that's, 10. That's where we're going to begin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, um, I, I think what was there is, is, is very old and in that sense, original, um, who made it, uh, uh, no idea. Um, by now, you know, uh, I've talked to some, uh, some make more historians, who think it wasn't them. Right. Uh, if it wasn't them, uh, then uh, it was probably uh, people from Europe. If it was people from Europe, I think it was people from the Basque country, you know, northern Spain, southern France, who came here to fish. And, you know, this is famous story about Samuel de Champlain from, I think, 1605, who talked to a, uh, a Basque uh, captain 
who casually told him that he'd been routinely sailing here for the last 40 years, uh, uh, you know, to uh, to catch cod and uh, dry them on the uh, on the beach and then uh, uh, take them back to Europe. Um, so th- there was heavy traffic uh, between uh, Europe and the Americas, and people left traces. Is it all Templar? Uh, very, very, very hard to say. Um, the thing we know for fact is that Norsemen, you know, people from Denmark, Norway, uh, came to at least Newfoundland uh, around the year 1000. I think they've now put the pin on uh, 1021, right, as right. the year. Um the Norsemen eventually um, became uh, uh, Templars. So many of the early Templar families really? uh, uh, were Norsemen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they wow. came from uh, from Normandy. So the Normans, I think King Rollo, I don't know if you've seen uh, yeah. uh, Vikings, uh, yeah. uh, you know the series from the his- History Channel. There's a big historical basis behind that. So Rollo, who you see, I think, primarily in the first two seasons, uh, was, was an exist- existing guy. Uh, who um, uh, took part in the siege of Paris and who became the first count of Normandy, Normandy being called after the the, uh, the Norsemen. Um, and some of the members of these families, of these early Norman families in France, uh, became part of the Varangian Guard. So they, they protected uh, the Byzantine emperor uh, in Turkey and, uh, among other places, were active in the Holy Land. So there were Norsemen. Um, in Jerusalem, for example, way before any Templar for the Knights Templar had ever been uh, been founded. Um, so, to me, you know, it, it's almost immaterial if there were any Templars in uh, in North America. I know for fact that Norsemen were there as of the year thousand. You know, right. and there's no reason why they would have stopped visiting after one thousand twenty one. Um, you know, uh, by the time uh, they got to, you know, 12, 1300, already there was a shortage of trees, for example, in, in Europe. Um, uh, they were trading furs and skins, uh, animal skins. Uh, uh, there was an abundance of fish. Uh, you know, the, there was three, four, five, you know, good monetary, uh, let's say business reasons, had to go to North America. And uh, so, so that's what uh, what people did. And these people left traces. Um uh, among other places, yeah, I think on Oak Island. And I think one of the fascinating things about it is when we, when we, you know, there's there's a couple of things you said there are fascinating. One, we were we have been talking a lot on this podcast about connecting Vikings to the rest of this story. Could they be connected? And now we're seeing that there absolutely could be a connection. But the other thing that comes to my mind when we, and maybe this is a question for. Uh, um, every researcher out there who's doing this kind of stuff. How much of what you think you're discovering here or what you learn as you research was meant to not be discovered and or kept secret? And how much of it is just lost to history? I mean, is a lot of what we're looking here, looking at here, just nothing all that extraordinary sometimes, just something lost to history. Like, uh, you know, the fishermen, as you mentioned, or you know, maybe somebody mining for gold or something along those lines. You know, there, there's a. I feel like we don't know anywhere near what we think we know about those oh. post 1600s. You know, or pre 1600s centuries. I so so agree with you. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think the vast majority of whatever happened anywhere was never intended to be a secret to anyone, right? Right. It's so. The, so the majority of of traffic that took place to North America. So it's just mundane. We go fishing. Right. Um, and, and, and 
you know, the, I'm sure there would be some uh, paranoid captain uh, who was trying to, you know, to keep his his fishing spot uh, 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 hidden away from from everybody else. But apart from that, you know, that that wouldn't have been uh, a huge thing or or, or a big thing. Um, I, I, I think we just lost an awful lot of information, and and that doesn't necessarily mean um, uh, those were secrets. Right. Uh, at the same time, you know, the, 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 uh, and that's you know where the Knights Templar come in, where it gets interesting, is that these people had a reason uh, to you know to have secrets because they were fearing for their lives. Right. Um, and that's a very powerful motive. Um, so so, and and I guess to some extent, uh, you know, th- that would be a motive to go beyond the shore and go inland, and and settle some way or another because you know you, you can't go back. So if you need right. to stay in another place, you you treat the place differently than when you know you you know you'll be going back in a month uh, with a boat full of fish. It's a different perspective. Right. Uh, so we need to try and think like these people. I always say to people, you know, people 800 years ago they were just as bright as you and I. Uh, but um, you know, especially if you were a nobility, you had more time because you know. Uh, um, You'd have a lot of staff uh, doing all, uh, you know, the the tedious uh, uh, bits uh, uh, that you wouldn't necessarily be uh, interested to do. And for the rest, you could you could concentrate on staring at the sky, you know, doing some astronomy or or whatever sort of science or exploring. Um, so in that sense, even though things took a little bit longer than in our time, they had they had more time than we do. Uh, to use their minds, which were just as good as ours. Uh, and, of course, they had different tooling. And from our perspective, uh, stuff uh, looks more primitive. But I'm, I'm convinced that, uh, you know, what we call, you know, a sophisticated heart heart surgery today uh, will be looked upon, will be frowned upon, uh, you know, in, in, in 20 years' time. And right, we, right. We will, we will look like butchers, right. as, as people in the Middle Ages did uh, uh, to us today. Right. So, um, um, yeah, that, that, that's how I look at things. All right. So so let's get into the season. So the, the first time I have, that I believe you appeared, you were on with somebody named Charlotte Wheatley. Yeah. <clears throat> um, we'd never seen Charlotte before, I don't think. Nope. And uh, what you guys were that you were the, considered the France team, even though you pop up in Italy. I'm I'm starting to feel that you're just sort of the Europe team now. You're just the team yeah. who goes to nice places. That's really what you what you do. Uh, and what you were talking about was yeah. the was in this conversation was something that we've talked a lot about on the show and that we've seem to be focusing a lot more about in the show. It's in the TV show itself, and that is the Duke Donville and um, his armada that uh, came to take the fortress at Louisburg. Um, give us the nickel version of that just to remind the listeners of what we're talking about here. Um, okay, so this has to do um, with the loss of Fortress Louisburg. So the French had built, you know, the biggest fortress outside Europe in Louisburg, um, which they used to, pr- I guess, to protect the mouth of the St. Lawrence River. Right uh, and the access, which was the access to uh, to Canada, and uh, much to their surprise and, and horror, I guess, uh, um, one day they lost uh, Louisbourg, um, and uh, the French uh, they they uh, created the biggest armada ever to sell or, or ever to sell uh, uh, the seas until that day, um, and uh, you know made their way to Nova Scotia to to reconquer 
the fortress, which became an absolute disaster. You know, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, there was bad weather; people got sick, uh, and in the end, uh, you know, none of the uh, none of the uh, uh, of the ships uh, that were sent uh, to North America made made it to Lewisburg eventually. Um, but um, it's always in, in the let's say the Oak Island lore. Um, this is one of the events uh, where people think that perhaps, you know, they brought a lot of money that they uh, right. uh, uh, perhaps temporarily buried on Oak Island or maybe part of this, you know, vast sea power was directed uh, towards uh, digging on Oak Island and finding something that had been lost a long time ago. Um, so Charlotte and myself, we looked at, you know, what were what what were the ships? What were they doing? Who were these people? Who were the captains? How many people did they have? What were the uh, uh, the routes to to North America? And is was there any indication that any of these ships did you know did something mysterious or something out of the ordinary, which wasn't part of the main expedition and which could be classified as you know clandestine? I guess. Right. Um, and, and, and a few things jumped out into the, uh, uh, one of the, the most peculiar things, and this never, this was never aired, uh, uh, um, was at the very, uh, beginning of the, uh, of the expedition. So, uh, Danville, uh, was sailing, uh, on a conquered, uh, English ship. I think it was the Northumberland, uh, that was his flagship. Um, and so you have to imagine, you know, they're all uh, uh, lingering uh, on the French coast, uh, waiting for for the weather to turn and uh, waiting to to cross the ocean, and and they wait and they wait and they wait, and then one night, and this is recorded in like uh, two, three different uh, uh, independent sources, a masked man arrives uh, in town. <laughs> um, he's uh, a, a sloop uh, is. Um, um, uh, sent from uh, from uh, uh, the uh, from the Duke Danville ship, and they collect this masked man, bring him uh, 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 to the uh, uh, to the admiral's boat, and they leave the next morning. So clearly, they had been waiting for this man to come on board. Um, so we've been trying to uh, to find out who this guy was, or perhaps girl was, uh, and and we've never found a, you know a satisfying answer. But fact is that. The night before the main armada left, a masked man uh, came on board, um, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the ship of uh, of Danville, uh, who must have sailed to uh, North America with him. Um, so, so that that was peculiar. Another thing we looked at, and this was on the show, there was two ships. Okay, wait, 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 uh, wait, 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 wait. I can't believe they didn't air that because that is such a fascinating story. But let's let's just it's crazy. Let's just let's just back up for a second. The question I have is, how, when you're looking at records like this, what are you reading? Like, what are you looking at? Like, how, you're getting this information from obviously some sort of historical source. What is it? And I suppose it's got to be official, right? Because that's the reason why. They would, you would know about a masked man, but nobody would bother to tell you who the masked man was because no one's allowed to know. Now we get back yeah. into this secret thing, right? I mean, there's obviously something secret going on here. Uh, what are these records yeah. like? What are you reading? How are you getting this kind of stuff? Is this just naval records, naval ship logs and things? 
Well, for one thing, you know, we looked in, uh, there's all sorts of journals and, uh, and reports. Um, all, all these boats had journals which were written by their captains. Um, there's letters from, you know, uh, the expedition force uh, to the king and back. Uh, there's all sorts of uh, marine correspondence, uh, uh, the king's orders and announcements. There's uh, marine manuscript archives and there's journals from uh, the French forces in uh, Nova Scotia. Uh, so, uh, for example, there was a, 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 um, uh, a general, Coulon de Villiers, there was a Beauharnois, uh, a, colonel, a colonel that uh, 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 that kept uh, records and logs. And we looked at all of this stuff. Um, and then th this message uh, about a masked man was, in, uh, was actually in the paper at the time. So wow. I think one of the sources was, uh, I think, Gentleman Magazine. Uh, and there was a, a French source too, and they both run the same story uh, around the same time. Uh, and and uh, like you, I mean, we were we, we were utterly perplexed <laughs> by, by. I mean, you, you're looking for a ticket. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So oh, so it says God. I've in, in the background. I've I've looked for the document. So it says that um, around 1700 on the 20th of June. Um, the ship which had been in La Rochelle sent out an officer with horses and he returned with another man wearing a mask. They were seen passing through town, embarked on a rowboat and headed to the Northumberland. Um, By town, and, do they mean, this, what, what town are they talking about at this point, do you know? This is La Rochelle. Okay. So this was the, the, uh, the port in France from which the Anvil's main ship uh, uh, departed. And this particular information was in a letter um, from a, uh, a senior officer, Mr. Hastel, um, from the 21st of June, 1746. If you want to check, it's in the Marine Archives B4318F46. <laughs> you can check for yourself. And then this message is independently uh, repeated, I think, in, in one or two uh, newspapers. Newspapers? My goodness. Yeah. This yeah. is this great stuff. Anyway, I interrupted you there. I, 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 you, you, there was an unknown man, yeah. you know, uh, uh, going on the boat uh, saying to North America. That was news at the time, like it is today. Right. Um, and then the other thing uh, uh, that that uh, that struck us a little bit was, uh, and and this was on the show. You know, these two ships, the Vanguard, right. that were two ships that were sent ahead, the Aurora and the Castor. Um, uh, one of the ships is then sent off. You know, so these. Ships are under one commander, Mr. Uh, Duvignot, and Duvignot sends one of the ships uh, to Newfoundland to do some measurements, uh, uh, and then you know he uh, goes south and he lingers around the area of St. Margaret's Bay, close to Mahone Bay for a while, and then returns to Halifax, and there's big gaps in his journal. And that's odd, because right. these journals are recorded like clockwork, you know, these are... Uh, uh, Sailors, seamen, they, they, they're all about structure and rhythm and uh, right. uh, momentum. Um, so, so that was odd. So, and, and at the same time, we knew that um, um, they had specific orders from the king to carry more men than they, they would normally use, uh, need um, you know, for, for the ship's operation. So there you go. So those were the, the two things that, uh, that stood out about that expedition. And that was the conclusion after digging through, I don't know, I don't know 25 miles of, of archives <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, losing a pair of eyes, uh, uh, looking at all the small print I, and I translating mean, everything from French. <laughs> and, and Charlotte, Charlotte Willys is, is the most amazing 
skillful, knowledgeable linguist in the world. He's amazing. Wow. He's completely French, English, bilingual, and uh, he's the fountain of knowledge. One of you in the beginning of this said, in the beginning of this conversation on the show, said, uh, could we find any, that you were looking for any relation between Oak Island and perhaps Mahone Bay and the 1746 expedition. Do you feel yes. you've done that? Like, like with oh, the yes. story there with Mark. Okay. So, so we're, we're, we're confident in that now. Um, yes. The, the fact there was a, <laughs> there were two ships, right? You said, I'm just trying to get this all down. Cause I'm writing it as you go, two ships with a crew that um, went on some sort of mission that nobody talked about. Right. He wouldn't say where they went. They wouldn't speak about any of this kind of stuff. So we clearly have somebody trying to keep a secret here. We're talking, we talked, right. So that's the fascinating part. Yeah. And then there, there's, there's some aspects about this. So um, (laughs) the captain that was sent to Newfoundland, uh, if you look at his correspondence, he clearly wasn't pleased, you know, to be sent off and he didn't understand, but still Duvignon insisted and sent him away. Um, and one of the things he said is, shouldn't we contact the French forces here in uh, in Nova Scotia and let them know we're here and let them know that the main armada will be arriving in a couple of weeks? And he said, no, we're not going to tell them. We're not going to tell anyone we're here. And then there's gaps in the journal. Um, uh, we have one coordinate uh, 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 recorded in the log, which is uh, the coordinates of uh, St. Margaret's Bay, which is very close to my home bay. Right. And then all of a sudden they they uh, they turn up again, you know, in Chibuktu Bay, which is Halifax uh, uh, Bay, and then uh, you know the uh, the journal continues again, and uh, and they end up going back to France because they completely miss uh, the main ar- uh, the main armada arriving. But what they were sent there to do, we don't know. We do know they these were king ships. That that means these had these two had direct orders from King Louis the Fifteenth of France to do something. In Nova Scotia, for sure, it it you know it was reconnaissance, um, but we don't know. We don't have the written records, and and you know there might have fishy things have yeah, might have yeah, gone on. I mean, we don't know. I mean, you could see just through these uh, this story that you're telling here. Uh, you know, we're not just talking about um, lost logbooks that maybe uh somebody dropped overboard or something like that i mean between the guy going on the boat in a mask keep that it sounds so ridiculous just to say it makes me laugh uh and then if you know anything about naval um naval officers the fact that you would have large gaps in a logbook for a king's ship is very deliberate thing to do i mean even if the captain is you know, semi-conscious with a fever, somebody would take that log for him because you have to do that on a ship. Yes. You know, yes. so we went and out of our way in this mission to be a secret. Yeah, exactly. They don't even leave gaps. They just go from, you know, from, uh, from August one to August 16. Right. And with nothing in between. Uh, so, so that's it. And, and the masked man, Jesus, I mean, that's a real mystery. So, internet, if you're listening, find out who that <laughs> tell is. Tell me who was the mass man who went on board the Northumberland in June 1746 to sail to America. I have no idea. All right, so so you you touched on a bunch of different subjects during this season. Actually, uh, the next stop we see for you, um, as long as you feel I've done that first part enough justice we've talked about that enough yeah, well, uh, we can talk about it for a week but i think we covered it yeah. <laughs> okay the next time we see you you're in what i, th- I have written down here as liverpool nova scotia 
Do I have that yeah. right? Okay, because this is old notes yeah. from from during this. And uh, you're yeah. there with Rick, you're with Charles Barkhouse, and you're going to see another example of one of the things that I was talking about earlier, which are these sort of carvings on stones all up and down the, the uh, really the North American coast and even into the interior. Um, tell us a little bit about that. You meet with a couple of locals, Isaac and Nick were their names, um, and you're looking to see a couple of symbols on the beach here, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then you need to know, you know, Liverpool was always on my bucket list, but uh, not the one in Nova Scotia. Um, so uh, you didn't get, didn't get to the Cavern Club yeah. there, huh? You didn't get to the Cavern no, Club. No, no, not I, yet. I not see. yet. Yeah. It's, it's worth going, Bo, by the way. Yeah. So that's that's <laughs> that's still in the same spot on my bucket list where yeah. where it always was. Um, so yeah, you know, we'd been uh, informed about uh, uh, these. Um, inscriptions or whatever they were uh, on a beach in Nova Scotia, not too far uh, from the island. Uh, um, information came in through Terry, Terry DeVoe, uh, you know, who's, who's right, a, right. a very respected uh, uh, guy and, you know, a, a great archaeologist. You know, he, he, uh, and, and I don't know anyone who knows more about, you know, the, the early history of Nova Scotia than, uh, uh, than Terry. So, you know, we were excited and uh, decided to, to go over a look. Uh, so we, uh, yeah, we we met uh, uh, Isaac and, and Nick and uh, and 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 walked uh, uh, to their beaches. It's, it's private property, so it's not a place that you can just uh, walk to. And then um, uh, at first it was uh, you know high tide, so we had to wait uh, uh, for everything uh, right. uh, to, to to become visible. And then uh, no, we were we, we were looking. They knew there was this like triangle shape uh, on the rock and uh <laughs> we we couldn't really find it first until we noticed that uh it was either charles or myself who we were standing on top of it <laughs> uh it was right, right right under my feet uh and and it, and it was amazing and then uh you know when we uh, had looked at that uh, isaac took us to this uh, this this huge boulder that had these uh these inscriptions these four inscriptions under the waterline uh, which, which, which totally blew my mind. So yeah, we asked these guys how, how old is this? How long has this been here? Uh, and you know, according to the guys, it had been there forever. You know, their grandparents uh, discussing it with their grandparents. So it must have been at least you know two two hundred and fifty years old. Um, uh, but it, but it looks older. And then it's it's difficult because this stuff is impossible to date. Uh, right, right. So the only thing you can then go by is context. And you know, given the fact that this is a, a, I think a perfect natural harbor, uh, there's loads of fish there. You know, my my first conclusion for the triangle was that it uh, that it was Basque because it's the uh, the goose paw, the, right, the free, right. you know, the the, the free uh, lines in in the shape of a triangle uh, right. with one cutting the triangle in half. It's a known shape in Europe, and uh, which was uh, used as the uh, as the mark of the uh, of the Basque people, okay, uh, and 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 not in a good way. It was a um, this started out uh, the cargo is there is there is there um, their, their nickname. Um, th this was a leper colony in Navarre, in uh, in in the in the south of France and and northern Spain and Portugal, uh, and these people uh, developed themselves uh, to become you know the stonemasons of the Middle Ages. So many of the cathedrals in Europe 
uh, were built uh, by, by the Cago, by people from, uh, from Navarre and from, uh, from the Basque country. Um, so often, uh, you know, in Santiago, the Compostela, uh, the big cathedrals of Europe, all the way up to, uh, um, I think, uh, uh, one of the cathedrals in England has this goose paw on its, on its cornerstone because it were these proud people from uh, the Basque country uh, that built it. But they were all, uh, also fishermen. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I imagined uh, because... Uh, we found this, this this inscription on what they call the wharf stone. It's a very broad, flat, smooth rock, um, you know, st- stretching like a pier into the natural harbor. It's an ideal place to dry your fish. So we could imagine um, the bass come here. They had a peculiar way to fish. They would catch the fish, then uh, leave it to dry. And only when it, you know, would have been dry, they would... Uh, put it back in their ship and bring it back to Europe. So right. they they would not carry life or dead fish. They would carry dried fish, pre-dried right. fish. And since this was an ideal place, and then you know, given also the sort of for as far as you can timing of the other symbols, I thought that was a logical conclusion. And uh, you know, the the other big contender, I guess, uh, is uh, the British broad arrow uh, that that. The British littered through all of Nova Scotia. You know, really? They marked everything that was their property with the broad arrow. But I've never, and I'm sure the internet will punish me for this, but I've never seen it, you know, on a surface rock. They would put this on their ammunition. They would put it on a tree if they weren't going to use it for something or they wanted someone, you know, not to touch it. They would put it on their cannons. Uh, they would put it on, on their provisions, uh, on their food. Uh, but not on a on a slab of rock, um, you know, in in a natural harbor. I don't. I, at least I don't think. Uh, I didn't think that was the most logical uh, explanation. Of course, uh, Mi'kmaq, so First Nation, um, was also uh, an obvious choice. But then, you know, the, these didn't have a history of uh, of making inscriptions. And uh, and and the people that I've talked to uh, have flatly said, no, it's not ours. Interesting. We um, don't do that. And that's yeah. and that's not the only symbol you saw. You 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 went and saw another one, which was the um, the globe, the cross and the yeah, globe. Yeah, the globus cruciger. Yeah, the, the 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 circle and the and the cross on top of it, which is a very common uh, symbol uh, in Europe. It can mean uh, uh, Christ or uh, you know uh, the Catholic Church uh, Church uh, owning the world or just Jesus or. Uh, right. uh, there's all sorts of uh, stuff and uh, it looks like the orb with the cross that uh, for example King Charles held when he was crowned uh, recently uh, it, it's a well-known European uh, symbol and it was used all over the place by you know so many people so very hard to pin on uh, on an organization uh, uh, and definitely not something that the, the Knights Templar uh, used a lot I mean you see it in Tomar uh, you see it in Italy, but, but you see this, uh, I think, in every Roman Catholic church uh, uh, in Europe. One of the first... Um, the other symbols, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, finish. Yeah. I mean, the, the other symbols, uh, you know, a, a, a circle uh, uh, with, with, a, with a line in the middle, uh, it, it, impossible to, uh, you know, to qualify. The most peculiar symbol, and to this day, I still haven't found an exact copy of it anyone even though you know i put it on my facebook and ask people to search um is this uh 
you know, uh, uh, is, is, is a, a, a dovetail on two, a line with two dovetails on, uh, uh, on either end and then a circle and a cross in the middle. Uh, that, that beats me. I have no idea what that is. And uh, <laughs> even though, I mean, people have been looking in, in symbol books uh, for, yeah. know, for, for ages now, we still haven't found exact wow. copies of that. So it sounds like this stuff in Liverpool, um, while maybe not necessarily relating, I mean, because, you know, the show always throws the Templars into everything we talk about. Um, it certainly is showing some sort of your some somebody other than who we thought would be there. Right. And so yeah. and that's the that's the fascinating thing that comes into play with all this stuff is that it starts to pile up. Right. I mean, this isn't far from yeah. from Oak Island. You know, the masked man was on his way to a place not far from Oak Island. You know, all these things exactly. start to pile yeah. up. The masked man and his chisel. Right. Like I said, I think that's a sufficient amount of information to sort of blow our minds for this podcast. <laughs> the next time you hear from me next week, I'm going to have part two of the podcast where we talk almost exclusively about Italy and the Italy trip and some of the things, the best part about these things, right? Are some of the things we didn't get to see. And uh, again, there's so much of that there. I tell you guys all the time. When we get these guests on the show and get these crackpot sessions, these trips, these theorists, we just don't get the full story from the editors. And, you know, I not not to turn this into a criticism of the editors, but I say all the time, I'd rather have that than another Akshu. I would rather have the story of this masked man boarding a ship in France heading to Nova Scotia than I would another Akshu that doesn't mean all that much to me, Right. This is amazing stuff, and there's a couple of things that really stick out in my mind about all the stuff he said, but I think the one thing that's most important is that Duke Donville expedition. We've been talking about this a lot. A lot of people have mentioned a lot of things about it. Um, it is certainly one of the prime suspects, and I think it ought to be, and I think Corey Amal actually just cemented that, that this ought to be something that we're looking into, because what we know... There's two things, there's two pieces of evidence, <laughs> the masked man and the fact that there are these big gaps in these ships' logs. What that tells us is that Duke Donville and his expedition was doing something clandestine, doing something very secretive. Now, everybody knew where they were going and what they were supposed to be doing. Everybody knew about Louisbourg. Everybody knew about the war. Everybody knew that's where they were going to, but what was this other stuff and what was the secret behind it? Does that mean there's a treasure buried on Oak Island by Duke Donville? No, it doesn't. Are there other explanations for who the masked man is and why there might be gaps in the logbook? Sure there are, but both of those things are completely irregular both point to something very secretive and something very secretive that I have that would have to have been approved or known by the higher ups, including the king, right? The head of the admiralty, including the king. So I think we can kind of conclude that now, right? When we talk about the Duke Donville in this expedition, we're talking about something. Again, does this mean they landed on Oak Island and dug? No, it doesn't. Are there some other unusual things about their trip, like the many 
different, you know, the too many guys, too many soldiers, too many men brought on board and where these ships went. Yes, there are a lot of weird things about it. But these two things that Corey and Maul talked about today, the masked man and the um, the the gaps in these ships logs, which cannot be done like that. That is a giant no, no in the naval world. Uh, they were done and they were approved. They were allowed to do that. It was approved. And it definitely points to something secret. I mean, why would what would the other explanation be for putting a man in a mask and parading in through town and putting him on board other than you wanted nobody to know who he was? Right. So, I mean, there's no other explanation. So it's a very strange um, expedition here that points to a lot of clandestine and secret things. And uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. Anyway, <laughs> I've gone on a lot. You guys, tell me what you think. You heard Corey and Maul say, let me know who you think that masked man is. Island at gmail.com. I'd love your theories, uh, serious ones and fun ones too. Get them in, Island at gmail.com, and hopefully we can talk about them in the near future. Uh, I want to thank Corey and Maul, but I'll do that more next week because, like I said, next week we have probably an equally as long podcast about just the Italy trip and the things that he saw and some of the stuff that we didn't get to see. So stay tuned next week for that. Uh, don't forget the Patreon page, five bucks a month, cancel any time. Uh, you can make a donation via Venmo, use the username at Dave McBride Music, or you can use that Patreon page to do five bucks a month, patreon.com slash Island. Five-star ratings, please, on Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get them, um, anywhere you get your podcast, really helps get the show out. I'm very excited about that and you guys doing that for me. Please, let's get some new ones in. Don't forget to follow the show on Facebook, at Digging Oak Island. Uh, also, we're on Twitter, though I'm not on Twitter very often, uh, so you're better off on Facebook, but Twitter is also at Digging Oak Island. And again, you have any questions or comments you want to send directly to me, send them to diggingoakisland at gmail.com. Keep in mind... If you do send me an email or a direct message on social media, I'll probably answer it here on the air. And I know I have some to get to. So if you have sent me in an email since the season ended I and I have not read it, I will do so soon enough. I just didn't want to add that to the front of this because I want to keep these two podcasts sort of um, focused on the stuff Corey and Maul saying because that's enough to blow our minds anyway. So anyway... After that, it is definitely crown time. So until we speak again, I'm Dave McBride. Thank you for listening to Digging Oak Island.